Welcome to Vision Sunday. We don't want to be content with looking back. We want to look forward. And vision is the number one distinguishing mark of a God-centered church. And it's not just having a vision. Anybody can have a vision. You've got to own the vision. There's got to be leadership, but there's got to be fellowship. There's got to be both working together in synergy. And that's what I want to talk about. Today, daydream a little bit with me. Daydream about 2016, what this year could look like. Imagine a church that is full every Sunday morning. I mean full. I mean, you're fighting for a seat. Man, the balcony's full. We're adding chairs to the aisles. Imagine a church where people are begging to be in a growth group. They're saying, hey, you know what, I, I'm not really sure how to, how to get in. Well, sign up on a communication card, plug into the internet. Go see the people that are in growth group leaders. Start challenging people to be a part. We shouldn't be chasing people down. You should be wanting to get in. Imagine a church that has Bible classes packed out. A vibrant youth ministry. A church that not only meets its budget, but exceeds its budget. Where you have hilarious, joyful givers. Imagine a church where everyone has found their spiritual gift. They know what they're doing here. They know where they're going when this life is over with. But in the meantime, they, they know that they are here to serve. Imagine a church where teachers teach and leaders lead and givers give. And those with mercy gifts are showing mercy. And those with hospitality gifts are showing hospitality. Imagine a church full of fully devoted followers of Christ. Ooh, what would that look like? What will 2016 look like right here at Cross Point Christian Church? I think leaders understand the value of a vision. I want to talk a little bit about a leader. His name was Nehemiah. But I also want to talk to you about the members of his church, his congregation, if you will, that lived in Jerusalem at the time. You remember the background? Nehemiah hears word that the, the city of Jerusalem has been restored. The homes have been rebuilt. The temple's been restored, but the city's walls, the city's gates, the city's pride lie in ruins. And he comes to Jerusalem because he wants to do something about it. God has placed on his heart this vision of renewed walls. These walls have been down for like 140 years. You remember when they got knocked down, the Babylonians came, the, the people of God had a king. Oh, give us a king, God, we want a king, we want to be like other nations. And you know what that led to? Idolatry and wickedness. And the nation imploded. And God raised up the Babylonians and others to take them off into captivity. But finally, they turned to God. They repented. 
And then through a king named Cyrus the Great, a decree was written that the Jews could go, Jews could go back to Jerusalem and rebuild their city, and they did, with the exception of the walls. They had houses, they had a temple to go to, but Jerusalem would never be a viable, Israel would never be a viable nation without a capital that had fortified walls. And for like 140 years, they lie in ruins. And here comes Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. Then I said to them, them who? His church. The people that lived in Jerusalem. You see the trouble we are in. What's the trouble? Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Now it sounds like just a cursive reading of that, that it just happened, right? No, it's been like this for 140 years and people have just gotten used to looking at the rubble, burned out gates, and they've just gone on about their business. And he starts laying out the case why this should not be. And it's a long speech, but he just kept on challenging and he kept on firing the people up and he kept on casting the vision. Come, let us rise up and build the wall of Jerusalem. And we will no longer be in disgrace. And finally it says, and I love this verse, and the people said. It doesn't say Nehemiah said. It doesn't say the leader said. It said the people said, let us, Nehemiah and the people, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hand, Nehemiah and the people, for the good work. And in 52 days, they completed that project. What had lined in ruins for 140 years, once the people had a mind to work, it said, so built they the wall, for the people had a mind to work. They caught the vision that was cast by the leadership. They bought into the vision. They owned the vision, and they did it together in 52 days. Isn't that amazing? What can we do if we get real serious about God? What, What can we do if we really get serious about the gospel? And kingdom business. Nehemiah was about that in his day. He says, you guys see down, broken down walls. You guys see burnt gates. But I see new ones in a sparkling city filled with much happier people if you'll just buy into this vision. Proverbs 29, verse 18, our response reading this morning. I want you to read it with me again, okay? Do you see it up there on the screen? First word is where. Are you ready? Let's read it together. Where there is no vision, stop, stop, stop. Let's let's pretend like we're really into this, all right? right, Let's get into this. Maybe we're ready. Come on. Here we go again. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, we preachers sometimes take this verse and we'll preach it kind of like a soul-winning verse. We say, now, if we don't get the vision for the lost, then people are going to perish. Yeah, it's probably a pretty good application, but that's not the intent of that verse. That is not primary in that verse. It says, if we don't get a vision, individually and collectively as a church, we will perish. Now, it doesn't mean we're going to die. It doesn't mean we're going to perish in hell. That's a whole different word. It's the Hebrew word para. What he's saying is, where there is no vision, the people become para. They become naked. They become a zero. They become barren. 
they go backwards. And you show me a church that doesn't have any vision, I'll show you a church that's going backwards. Let's look at the definition of the word vision. It's a Hebrew word, chazon, C-H-A-Z-O-N. It really has three meanings. The first one is called open revelation. People perish when there's no, up, no open revelation, where there's no guidance, there's no, nothing, to, nothing to follow. Aren't you glad that we got a Bible that tells us how to be saved? Aren't you glad we got a Bible that tells us how to live and how to die and how to help others find out about the good news of Jesus? And so we've got open revelation. But then the second meaning is to dream. Not, not a dream like, you know, when you go to sleep at night. Not that kind of a dream. It really means aspiration. What are your dreams? What are your hopes? What are your aspirations? What does your dream home look like? What does your dream job look like? What does your, you know, dream girl look like or dream man, boy, whatever? Uh, I asked Keith Dula the other night, I said, hey, Keith, do you ever have dreams? And Keith goes, oh, yeah, I dream all the time. As a matter of fact, just the other night, I dreamt I went to the circus. And then Keith asked me, he says, well, Bruce, do you ever have dreams? I go, yeah, I I dream. I I actually dreamt the other night that I went to the World Series right here at Dodger Stadium. We were in it. We were ahead. I had two beautiful seats, two, mind you, right behind home plate. It was fantastic. And Keith got all over me. He said, you mean you had two tickets and you didn't call me? I said, I tried, but they told me you were at the circus. Now, that's not the kind of dream I'm talking about. I'm talking about we got to get some hopes, we got to get some dreams, we got to get some aspirations if we are going to be the church that God has called us to be in 2016. Amen? Now, if God told you, you could do something for Him right here at this church. You could serve this church in some way by serving your church and the community, and you would be 100% successful. You will not fail. I will be in this with you. If God came to you and said that to you, what would you want to do? Some of you would say, okay, hmm, that's a good question. I've not given that any thought. Give that some thought. Well, I've not even been into a a ministry class to learn what my gifts are. Get in that class. You see how this all comes together? There's some synergy here, but there's something. It can't just be the elder's vision, the leader's vision. The people have got to own it. Nehemiah and the people, the leaders and the church, pulling together, asking serious questions, tough questions. What direction does God want us to go? What does God want to use me with? So it means open revelation. We've got that. It means to dream, have hopes and aspirations. And number three, it means to have a mental picture of what your preferred future will look like. Have a mental picture. Get it in your mind. What does the preferred future look like? In your mind's eye. Here's how things look today, but what should they look like next year? When we get to the end of this year, what should it now look like? Start seeing that now. With your mind's eye, you can do that. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 4 and verse 17, it says, God calls those things that are not as though they are what? They are. He did that all the time. Throughout the Bible, you'll see he'll take people that were kind of washed up and written off and written out like Moses. You know, Moses started off as a great leader. He was going to do God's will his own way, and he ends up 
tending sheep for 40 years out in the wilderness on Mount Sinai. And God says, hey, you know what? You ran. You didn't do what I told you to do. Now you've got to go repeat what I told you to do in the first place. And 40 years later, he says, go back to tell Pharaoh X, Y, and Z. And remember what? He became a great leader. But it took 80 years before Moses became a great leader. Moses was a Moses in the making. He calls things that are not as though they are. Remember Simon? We call him sometimes Simon Peter. Jesus did that on occasion. Did, you know, Simon, if you read about when he was called Simon, who was he? He was this kind of wishy-washy, put-his-foot-in-mouth kind of a guy. He'd say one thing and do another. He was all over the place. And Jesus says, enough of that, Simon. I'm not going to call you Simon anymore. I'm going to call you Peter, Petra, Rock. You're going to be a solid one. And you know what the other disciples did? If you were there, I'm sure they would have all been laughing. Yeah, right, Peter? <laughs> He's anything but a solid one. He's anything but a rock. He's all over the map. On the day of Pentecost, who preached the first apostolic sermon? Who ushered in the kingdom? Peter, rock, solid one, and died saying, Jesus Christ is Lord. He became the rock. Some of you are Moseses in the making. Peter's in the making. You just need to get yourself usable. You just need to buy into the vision. You need to say, what's my part? What's my role in this? Use your mind's eye to see what your preferred future could look like. What's the drive of the vision? It's got to be the love of Christ. First, 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ constrains me, Paul says. Paul, why do you keep on keeping on? Why do you, Man, you've been beaten five times. You've been shipwrecked. And a night and a day in the open sea, you've been a danger in the country, a danger, I'd say, a danger from thieves and bandits and danger from false brethren. Why do you keep on keeping on? You know, there are days I want to quit, but you know what? The love of Christ constrains me. I, I just can't quit. I can't stop. I think of the love of Christ, and if it's not the love of Christ that's motivating us, to buy into this vision this morning, catch the vision, do our part in the vision, then nothing's going to motivate you. I can just tell you that right now. Why do we love Christ? 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. Let me show you some guys that had no vision. The world's full of people with no vision. There was a guy, this guy named Charles H. Duell. He said, everything that can be invented has been invented. You know what his job was? He was the commissioner of the U.S. Patent Office in 1899. He said by 1899, everything, you know, the locomotive, the steam engine, you know, all that stuff, telegraph, there's nothing else to be invented. It's all done. It's all over. No vision. Guy's never heard of something called Apple, and I'm not talking about what you eat, or Microsoft, or cell phones, or televisions. Look at all the microwave ovens. I mean, it's all this stuff. No vision. President Grover Cleveland, 1905, you know what he said? Sensible, responsible women do not want to vote. Right. A man said something like that to his wife, and she got a little perturbed and said, Okay, how would you like it if you didn't see me for a few days? He got a little bent out of shape and said, Well, that'd be fine by me. He reportedly said later, first day I didn't see her, second day I didn't see her, third day I didn't see her, 
Long about the fourth day, I could see her just a little bit when the swelling in my left eye went down. <laughs> Lord Calvin in 1855 said this, Flying machines heavier than air are an impossibility. Contrast that with Walt Disney, who had a vision of Disney World. Ooh, it just came into my mind. Wouldn't it have been a nice to have a picture of visual to see right there? Case and remind me next time when I think of a good thought like that. Disney World. It was where? Up here first. Before it ever became a blueprint. Before it ever became a reality. See, he died before it became a reality. And on opening day, the grand opening, everybody was there. The MC was there. Walt Disney's wife was there. And the MC says to Walt Disney's wife, I just wish Walt could have been here to see it. I love what she said. Are you kidding me? He did see it. He saw it up here in his mind's eye before one finger was even lifted to start the project. Vision. He had the vision. He bought into the vision. He cast the vision. Did he do it all by himself? No, he was dead by the time it was completed. But you've got to have vision. You've got to have workers. You've got to have leadership. You've got to have people working together. Helen Keller said, worse than being blind would be to see, yet have no vision. And January is a good time to ask ourselves the question, where is it we are going as a church? What's next? Where do we want to go from here? What would God love for Crosspoint to look like a year from now? What values would he want us to lift up and to pay special attention to? I'm going to boil it down to two things, all right? Next year we'll get two more. But if we do these two, and most churches struggle with these first two. Some are going to say, well, Bruce, I've heard you say something like this before. Yeah, when we get these first two down, then we'll go on to something else, all right? First one. Reach the greater, woodier area with the gospel message. God is saying to us, there are thousands and thousands of lost people that matter to me. And I'm counting on Crosspoint to be a beacon of hope to people who are lost. I'm counting on this church that meets at 8155 Painter Avenue to do that. One mile, five mile, ten mile radius. we got people drive ten miles and more. Let's... You know, there was a time we had people driving from Arcadia and Ontario and Marietta, the Temecula Valley, every Sunday to be here. Woo! Our influence went way out. Let's get serious about this, he says. I'm counting on you, Crosspoint. If I learn anything about God by watching Jesus, I learn this. That God weeps for the lost. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Remember he said that. Jesus rounds the corner. He sees Jerusalem in all of its glory. There's this one spot in the route they were taking. Then once you get around that hill, boom, it comes into view. And he sees the city. He's soon going to be dead. He knows they're like sheep without shepherds. And Jesus begins to cry knowing the fate of this city. You ever weep over the lost? So many times he says, I tried to take you 
like a mother hen takes her little chicks under her wings to protect them. I read a story one time. A barn burned down. The farmer went in to look at the rubble and found a dead hen. Picked it up and under live chicks. Mother hen protected them in that fire. That's Jesus. If I learn anything about God, through watching Jesus, I know that God weeps for the lost. This year, 2016, with greater clarity than ever before, we need to reach lost people. Amen? We need to see lost people as Christ sees them in desperate need of help. 1 Timothy 1.15, someone says, I would never darken the doors of a church building. I'm such a sinner, the walls would fall down. You can't claim to be the chief of sinners because Paul's already got that title. Faithful is the saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So Paul's got that claim. He's the chief sinner. The rest are just little Indian sinners. He's the chief, right? So don't fall for that stuff. Keep reaching out to people. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power. Well, I won't know what to say. I, won't, I may not say it right. I might mess it up. Well, you hear me up here all the time. I get my tang tangled up, and I don't always say it right. But it's not the spokesperson. It's the Word. It's the Holy Spirit. We prayed about the Holy or We sang about the Holy Spirit today, didn't we? That's where the power, the power's in the gospel, not the presenter. Get yourself out of the way and just let God use you. Get the word out there, folks. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. You're here today because someone shared the gospel with you. Don't be selfish with it. Ooh, get it out there. We're going to have to get more intentional about our evangelism. Our methodology is what I'm talking about. We do a lot of great events. Did you see that video? Did you see how busy this little church is? Man, we can put on an event. We know how to put on an event, but with every event we put on, well, you know what we need to be asking ourselves? Where's the evangelism team? (laughs) You know, we're so caught up in the event, cranking that event out, that we forget the big picture of the event. What's the purpose of this event? To reach souls. And if no souls are being reached, because we're cranking over here with the event, then we've kind of missed the mark, right? So in a much more intentional way, We need to do a lot of things that we're now doing. They're they're good stuff. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, with Christ-like eyes, we need to say, now how can we make this event connect with lost people? Where's our team? Where's our people that aren't ashamed of the gospel of Christ that'll plug in to that event and those lives so that people will be a part of community, which leads us to our next point. Move the congregation into spiritual community and full participation into the life of the church. That's community. That's real biblical community. Baptism is not the goal. And so we reach people and we baptize them. We don't just hang them up to drip dry and lose them and move on to the next. That's not it. The goal is to bring those people and make disciples out of them and assimilate them into the body of Christ. That's real community. Real community is a place where you can know and be known. Real community is a place where you can love and yet be loved. Real community is a place where you can serve and yet be served. 
celebrate and be celebrated. In Acts chapter 2, we see a wonderful example of this. Chapter 2, 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. Now that's a, that's a, that's a church community, isn't it? That's a plugged in group of people. And you're not going to be whole in Jesus Christ until you experience real Christian community. Isolation, just showing up here and there, everywhere, will kill your Christian walk. You need to get connected. Connected, what does it mean to be connected? Well, number one, it means to be spiritually mature. And number two, it means full participation. I mean, you're not in halfway. Spiritual maturity, what do I mean by that? Have you made it around the basis? Have you been with us long enough to know that we have something called Class 101? We call that first base. That's membership. Some of you have been to it. And you've been in my class for, what was it, like three and a half, four hours? It went by pretty fast, didn't it? You guys were in it last time. And then we got something called 201. I hope you're not content just to be a pew sitter. Membership's not just coming and showing up, you know, eating your cracker, drinking your juice, putting your dollar on their plate and going home for another week. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about fully devoted followers of Christ here. So you've got to move on to class 201, which is spiritual maturity. We teach you through this book how to have a daily quiet time. How to prepare your own little spiritual meal. I mean, if you just show up once a week and say, spoon-feed me Bible class teacher, spoon-feed me preacher, and then you don't eat for another week, it'd be like going to one of these buffets over here and gorging yourself, eating five or six meals in one big setting, and then not eating for a week, and then doing it again the next week. That wouldn't be a good thing. 301, your ministry. Okay, I'm a member now. I'm kind of getting a handle on this book. I'm buying into the vision, so that must mean I need to be a part of a ministry. 301 teaches you what your spiritual gifts are, the way God sort of wired you up physically with natural gifts and spiritually. See, when you were born, you got some mom's DNA, dad's DNA, put that together. You got some natural talents and abilities, right, from them. But then when you got born again, you got some spiritual gifts. You go, I did? Yes, you did. What is it? I don't know. I know what mine are, but I've been to 301. Have you? Go to 301. Figure out how God's wired you up, what your spiritual gifts, talents, abilities are, and then put those into meaningful service of a church. And then that leads to 401. See, first base, second base, third base. Now, we don't give you any credit if you're on third base. You've got to get all the way home. That's your life mission. What's that all about? Sharing the gospel. See, you become a member to be a part of the team, the big team, God's team, God's family, the community. That's what I'm talking about. Then you mature through 201. Then 301, you kind of figure out how you're wired up and what giftedness God's given you. You get plugged into a ministry. Maybe you're leading a ministry. But all that put together is for one reason and one reason only, to share the gospel. That's your mission on life. Share the good news with God other people. And then finally, full participation in the life of the church. 
translation, get some spiritual calluses. Spiritual calluses. Not just physical. Cross Point's one of those wonderful places to come to and hang out because everyone here loves each other and, and the Bible is lifted up and we do preach this. Not just here at the pulpit, but in growth groups and in Bible classes and children's church. and The Bible's lifted up. It's a high value around here. So it's a good place just to kind of come and hang out. But you don't want to stand before a Savior who shed His blood for you someday and say, well, you know, I never really committed myself. I never really got involved in a ministry. I never really figured out my spiritual gifts. I never really served. You won't want to stand before Jesus Christ with unstained, uncalloused hands when His hands were blood-stained for you. I mean, that's going to look pretty awkward, isn't it? What are you doing for eternity? What, are you, what have you done that if you were to die tonight would outlive you? That would still be in existence doing good on this planet a hundred years after you're gone? Those are good questions to ask yourself. Find your place of meaningful service. Crosspoint is not about club membership. It's about reaching a lost world by becoming players and prayers and servers and givers and lovers. Speaking of love, Ooh, I've been studying the material for the 40 days of love coming up, and I'm finding out more and more. I know little or nothing about love. It's tough stuff, guys. I hope you don't miss that ride. I thought I knew about love. I thought I'm okay at love. You know, it's easy to love people that love me. It's easy to love my neighbor if i got a good neighbor. But Jesus said, all right, love your enemies. What? Enemies? <laughs> you want me to love them? <laughs> yeah, I kind of modeled it for you. I hung on a cross one day and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Uh, I don't know how to love. So I'm not going to miss one single day of the 40 days of love. Hope you don't either. We need it. I want to ask you to do something this morning. I want to ask you to vote for this vision. Just twofold vision. You just heard it. But I don't want you to vote in the traditional way where maybe I have everyone all raise a hand if you're in or stand if you're in this with us. Nah, don't want to do that. Don't even want you to use your voices and say, Amen, I'm there, I'm with you. I get it. I want you to vote in the following ways. I want you to vote with your mind. I want you to think this thought every day. The hope of the world is Jesus Christ. And His gospel proclaimed through a local church. It's not the government's job. It's not the school's job. It's not the corporation's job. God gave this job to the church. If you're part of the church, pray that prayer every day. I want you to vote with your feet. That means showing up at the assembly every week. No more flaky excuses. Voting with your feet by getting into the car and coming and praying and supporting. I want you to vote with your hands. Hands that are reached out to lost people. Lost people at the workplace where you work. They may not even know you're a Christian or believer. Talk to them about it. Those at your schools, your neighbors, your families. I want you to vote with your lips. Pray every day that God will achieve this vision for His glory, not ours. 
I want you to vote with your daytimers. I want you to rearrange your priorities. I want you to rearrange your schedules so that you will seek first the kingdom of God. We devoted a whole message to that last week leading up to today's message, right? I want you to vote with your checkbook. Resolve not to miss a single offering this year. Don't rob God or this church of the resources it's going to take to reach these goals. Preaching the gospel is not inexpensive. It is costly. But someday, someday, imagine we've done this. We've become this church that God's called us to be. We've all become fully devoted followers of Christ. And when we all get to heaven, we have kind of a little cross point meeting. Hey, cross point members, let's all get together. Let's have a little rally. And we look back at this experience that we had here on earth. And we say, what a ride that was. What a God we serve. We did it with God being our helper to God be the glory, not us, forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for vision. Thank you for visionaries like Nehemiah. Thank you for the people of his day saying, let us rise up and build Coming to the leader saying, what can I do to help? What can I do to serve? Rather than, what can you do for me? We can all have a vision in the world. But until we all take ownership of it, it it is meaningless. It means nothing. And that's not who we think we are. But it's who we think our God is. The question is not, what can I do? But rather, What can God do through me in this place if I'm willing to be used? Oh, I love D.L. Moody. I love that famous quote, If God is your partner, you can afford to make all of your plans big ones. Father, you're a big God. Help us to make big plans. Help us to accomplish these two goals this year. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that you lead and guide us when we are humble and when we bow and when we pray. You show us a lost world and you remind us what our lives are to be about. And you give us a dream and you give us a vision and you call us to pursue it with all of our hearts. May you be honored and glorified and receive all the praise and all the glory when these goals are achieved. And may we just enjoy the adventure and talk about it for eternity in heaven by your amazing grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.